Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How do you really investigate them? Who does and who should investigate the paranormal? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 259th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and the guy asking those questions was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So our subject this evening, which we rarely ever talk about, is ghosts. And it is not as basic a subject as you might think. But first things first, it is time for our weekly paranormal contest. Last week's question was, in what year did a UFO supposedly crash in a Texas town with the pilot dying and and being buried in the local cemetery? Well, Douglas Berger of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, was the winner, and the answer was 1897. Actually, Mr. Berger's answer was 1896, but we gave it to him anyway. Uh, The town was Aurora, Texas, and the craft supposedly crashed. The pilot died in the crash and was buried in the local cemetery with Christian rites. One version of the story, though, has it that he lived a little while and won over the hearts of the townspeople. It depends on who you talk to. Oh, it sounds like E.T. all over again. Well, something like that. uh, this This week's question... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dad. No, go ahead. Okay, so this week's question is, where and when was the Effingham carcass found? And if you nail that one, win a copy of Illuminating the Darkness, The Mystery of Spook Lights by tonight's guest. And let me just uh, interject here. We are in the process of migrating to another, as they call it, migrating to another computer system. And it's uh, like 10 years ahead of what I'm used to. And so some of the, the shipping of the prizes has been a little bit delayed. So, Doug, hang on. Your book is on the way. And anybody else who might be a victim of my lack of techno- technological experience. Anyway, uh, well, let's go to our guest now. Dale Kazmarek is president of the Chicago-based Ghost Research Society and director of Excursions into the Unknown Incorporated, the only year-round ghost tour of haunted Chicagoland locations. I have to ask him what exactly Chicagoland is. Dale has been investigating ghosts, hauntings, and poltergeist phenomena since 1975 and is active in a number of organizations, including the American Association for Electronic Voice Phenomena, Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained, International Fortean Organization, and the prestigious and very old Ghost Club, based in London. Dale has appeared in numerous publications, has been a guest on Oprah, Encounters, The Hidden Truth, Sightings, The Other Side, Rolanda, and many, many more. He uh, was called on by the Discovery Channel to help produce and appear in two segments, Real Ghost Hunters and Phantom Photos. He teaches an online course on ghost hunting techniques at, at International Metaphysical University, where I also teach. That's www.intermetu.com. He has authored five books, including Windy City Ghosts. Windy City, of course, is Chicago. I, I know that much. Windy City Ghosts 2, A Field Guide to Spirit Photography, Illuminating the Darkness, The Mystery of Spook Lights, our prize tonight. Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques. And Dale's website is www.ghostresearch.org. We do welcome callers tonight, by the way. I often forget that because we get so absorbed in our conversations. But the number locally in New England, 401-766-1240 and nationally, 800-449-1240. All right, so Dale Kazmarek, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Glad to be here tonight. Thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Uh, So, Dale, you seem to... uh, Come 
uh, you seem to come at uh, ghosts at a very different direction than we do. So let's let's talk about it. What is your opinion on what ghosts are? Well, in my research, I believe that ghosts are pretty much a disembodied spirit of a once living person that for some reason hasn't quite made the transition from this world to the other side because most often due to an untimely death uh, be a, some sort of tragedy, trauma, uh, usually murder, suicide, uh, something very sudden, very untimely. Uh, it seems to be a very often repeated scenario in cases uh, that I've investigated, that I've read about in the literature, and even through books uh, through the Internet. Uh, over and over again, you have this uh, uh, idea that uh, there's uh, some... Uh, tragedy, trauma. Uh, uh, Dale, I'm sorry to interrupt. Could, could we ask you to speak up a little bit? The audio here in the studio isn't isn't that great. Ask him if he's sure. Are you on a speakerphone? No, I'm not. Okay, just if you just uh, speak up just a, l- a little bit, uh, we'd appreciate it. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Not a problem. Uh, very often we have this, this this very often repeated scenario of the this untimely death that seems to repeat throughout uh, my research and. Uh, uh, it often has to do with, again, uh, some sort of uh, trauma, uh, whether it be a drive-by shooting, some sort of car accident, some, some, something like this. And uh, very often uh, what people have experienced is usually is a residual type effect. Uh, it can be um, more like uh, a tape loop, something being played over and over again uh, that people often experience. Uh, more so than the actual physical apparition. Uh, we kind of categorize ghosts into two main body categories. The, the residual haunting, which seems to be something like a tape loop, because no real intelligence is sort of like uh, something that's been impressed in the fabric of time and space and simply replays from time to time to people that happen to be traveling to a certain location at a certain period of time. The other being more... Uh, of an intelligent haunting where there seems to be interaction between between the person and uh, the, uh, the ghost itself, uh, uh, visual, uh, mind-to-mind communication or verbal communication. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons we asked you on, Dale, is uh, first of all, as a, a courtesy to a fellow I, you know, IMU faculty member, and certainly because we respect your experience, uh, you are one of the few people out there who has been out there almost as long as I have. I started in 1970, and so, you know, give or take five years here, we're about the same vintage. And I'm, I'm fascinated by how we have come to such wildly different conclusions about what ghosts really are. So that's w- one of the reasons um, we, we asked that Ben asked the question. Now... I was one of the early advocates of the residual haunting theory, ironically, and uh, but I very quickly came to the conclusion that that's not good enough, in my opinion, because I was able to change so-called residual hauntings by interacting with them. What say you? Well, um, residual hauntings very often uh, change and inter- uh, 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 through interaction by environment. We've, we've noticed this ourselves sometimes. Uh, give you a perfect example of this happening here in the Chicagoland area. There's a oh, yeah, could you define, just, if it, could, what is Chicagoland? I hear the term, <laughs> you being a native, maybe you can explain yeah, it to us poor New Englanders. Basically being the Chicago and the metropolitan area, the suburbs uh, around the Chicago area. So it's greater Chicago. 
kind of call it Chicago land. It's oh, okay, all okay. The metropolitan area around Chicago. Oh, all right. That's it. Thank you for clearing that. Sure. So, go no ahead. Uh, but the, a very, very famous location out here, where there was a double murder that took place uh, back in 1957, and there were two bodies that were dumped out there on the side of the road, and people have seen a residual effect of that replay of a car pulling up there, dumping bodies, and then disappearing over and over again for the past 50 years. Uh, now, that area has relatively not changed at all, with the exception of the last five or six years when there was a new housing project built down there. And then that, when that changed uh, the environment, the, uh, the residual effect actually changed to the point where it hasn't been seen hardly at all. Uh, we've noticed that in, uh, in hauntings, uh, when uh, people are experiencing things in their home, when there is structural change to the environment, uh, when there is a major renovation in homes, it stirs up the ghost. In this case, it's just, it's just the opposite. The environment had changed. Uh, the place where this murder had taken place was quite different from 1957 to 2007, uh, and it actually changed the residual haunting to the point where it actually has not been seen that much anymore. Well, had you considered the possibility that maybe there's more to it than the residual business? In other words, our point of view is that I mean, and I've, I've run into many of these things, as have you. And we run into the situation where people uh, have sometimes come to us and say, well, I changed this or I started renovations. And, you know, exactly as you describe, things, uh, things acted up or, or changed somehow. But in, uh, in our experience from the trenches, uh, it seems that quantum mechanics seems to be more of, a, of an explanation than some of the traditional spiritualist approaches. In other words, when we... I stood in front of a house in New Hampshire at one point where I had been attacked with a chair that didn't seem to have anybody lifting it up and throwing it at me. Okay. And the, uh, there was a sound that kept recurring. And uh, there were other things that one might describe as a residual haunting, but it, there was a sound of a dropping book, very large book. And you'd hear it again, and uh, at certain times of the night, and then again and again, it was always the same. And we found very often that, as I'm sure you have too, that these sounds repeat, uh, and they're exactly the same as they were when they had when you heard them the first time or the second time. And uh, in our opinion, considering a number of factors that uh, and other experiences that we've had, is that what we're hearing is through the wall of space-time, the actual event as it occurred, not a recording. But the actual event as it occurred, because in quantum physics, in some interpretations, it is theorized that these events are are forever existing side by side with us, simultaneously with us. There is no past, there is no future, and you know the drum. I'm sure you know this this stuff. But uh, I mean, so had you? It took me beyond the traditional spiritualist understanding of these things. Uh, you know, and I ask myself, and I would ask you this, why are ghosts seen wearing clothes? Why are there physical effects in this world from something that's supposed to be made entirely of spirit? You know, why are there, you know, the horses and buggies, you know, in transparent form running by and, and things like this, which things are things that you and I have probably have actually seen. How do you explain that from a strictly spiritual point of view or residual point of view? I mean, I, I frankly don't see how that, that can still hold water. So, I mean, where am I wrong? You really can't explain it from a spiritualist point of view because uh, 
from Sturgis' point of view, obviously, you know, an inanimate object like a, like a car or a disappearing house, they don't have a spirit. Uh, but if you look well, at the Native the, Americans might disagree with us on that. Exactly. That's what I was about to get to. Native American Indians believe everything has a spirit or a manitou. Uh, even inanimate objects like rock and water and wind and rain and so forth. Uh, but in the same, in the same idea, um, very often, uh, when we, when we look at, uh, a residual haunting, what we are, in my interpretation of residual haunting, we're looking back at something traumatic, some, some great release of energy, whether it be emotional, uh, as far as great anger, great joy, great frustration, uh, that has been released at a location due to a tragedy or trauma. Uh, it could be a, a very uh, uh, serious car accident, uh, a triple murder, something like this. And for some reason, and we don't understand it, and I can't even explain it myself, and I've been doing this so often, not so many years, uh, but the idea that many, many researchers have is that this somehow impressed itself in the fabric of time and space. And for some reason, these events are replayed just like popping in a DVD and playing it over and over again. And if you look at it from that strict sense of a, of a replay, then the idea of inanimate objects being in a replay, like uh, just being replayed like a movie playing over, over and over again, makes sense uh, in taking out that spiritual aspect totally. Well, I, I, the reason I, I sort of turned against that theory was because uh, it, it seems to me as time went on that it was a... A catch-all for everything else that couldn't be couldn't be explained. Uh, we said, well, what else could it be? So it's just like thinking that ghosts are spirits of the dead. Like, what else could they be? You know. But again, you know, Ben and I tend to be voices crying in the wilderness here. Uh, but I'm okay. I see your point. Um, I don't agree with it, but I understand why why you see it that way. Ben, did you have any um, further questions on the residual business before we move on? Oh no, I was going to move on. Um, do you ever work with psychics? have on very rare occasions, uh, not very often. Um, when we go into locations to do investigations, we're normally going in uh, as a fact-finding mission to find out if there's something going on. Uh, not to necessarily debunk what's going on, but to try to find if there's natural explanation. Um, going in there, uh, interviewing the people in advance, trying to get the relevant information of what's going on, the history of the location, and then trying to... Uh, go in with our equipment and find out there's natural explanations for what's going on. Uh, very often, uh, it, it, through the course of our investigations, the people that are, uh, whether it be a private home, a, a public place, uh, a private business, uh, they might ask, uh, they might be very terrified of what's going on. Uh, they don't have an explanation. Uh, sometimes it may be something perfectly natural that's going on uh, that, they, that they simply don't understand. Uh, no matter how you explain it to them, they will still think it's, it's a ghost. And they will want somebody to come in like a psychic or a medium or something like that. In that case, we do sometimes, you know, have uh, people that we have worked with in the past that uh, we have employed uh, to bring in to uh, apparently communicate with spirits. But on very rare occasions uh, we do, but uh, most often we, we tend to stay away from that, uh, try to be on more on the scientific side of the spectrum. Well, you, you mentioned the magic word, science, and... Uh before we get to that, I'm sorry. Did you? Have no, any? Uh, no. Okay. No, go on. The, I wanted to ask you about the the, the the scientific aspect, so-called or whatever, and also the notion of um, the. Uh, I suppose it's more philosophical. I have a problem with the dualism 
of Western thinking, particularly when it comes to the paranormal. In other words, I have a problem with somebody dying and their spirit or whatever you want to call it containing everything as far as their memories, the, the, the totality of their being. I just that, That's just not um, reasonable, I don't think, because the body is an intimate part of our selves, all th- can can we be ourselves without our bodies? And, may, and maybe it's my theological training, but as, as I spent ten years in seminaries, the physicality of the whole Christian message, at least, and, and and that of many other religions, is that the body is supposed to be saved along with the spirit or whatever, and that you can't really divorce one from the other entirely. And so I have a problem with interpreting ghosts as spirits of the dead, simply because. They may be seen wearing clothes. They may have the same memories, the same. Well, you you know the, you know the drill. I mean, I, I, what, what's what's your answer to that? Well, you know, I was I was born and raised a uh, Roman Catholic you know, uh, myself, and when I was uh, you know we're kind of kind of an old older Roman Catholic. Uh, I was actually raised uh, and taught when I was going through uh, 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 church and so forth that the Catholics believe that there's a heaven and hell and there's a purgatory. Right. something in between. Uh, they always talk of this purgatory. <laughs> That's what got me started in this field, was the idea of purgatory. Yeah, and this purgatory was never really actually really explained really really well, to my understanding. No, I agree. And this purgatory, what now that, it, now that we look at an aspect through ghost hunting now, uh, it might be in between this heaven, this hell, maybe this the realm of the spirits, the, the earthbound spirits that are now being seen and perceived by people on, on Earth now. Well, it was precisely looking into the idea of purgatory that I came not to believe in earthbound spirits. I don't think they're spirits at all. I think they're people in parallel worlds where they may have died here, may not have died there, or may not even have been ever been born here, going about their daily lives. In um, just going about their daily lives, and I, I run into situations constantly where they think we're ghosts haunting them because they see us across the membranes, as the physicists might say, just as we see them. But again, it depends on how you interpret it. Let's get into the science. I'm sorry, did you have a response to that, or do you want to? Can we get into the science oh, thing? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, in the matter of science, uh, we constantly talk with "quote unquote" ghost hunters, a term that I detest, by the way who are trying, many of them very nobly, and with very good intentions, I'm sure, to prove to science, quote-unquote, that there is such a thing as an afterlife and this business and the survival after death. And I I detect some of this on your website. Uh, why, Why do you, first of all, why do you feel it's necessary to prove something that every generation before this one has believed anyway, and secondly, what makes you think, if you do think this, that that we can do any of us can do anything to prove anything to modern science? Well, taking the second question first, uh, modern science has never going to accept anything we have to still offer anyway, unless it can be under, under laboratory conditions, and that's usually the way these things work. I mean, they want something that's a repeatable phenomenon that can be studied, uh, processed, and analyzed under strict scientific uh, scrutiny, and uh, uh, ghosts and the, the paranormal and uh, things of this nature are just not going to be, be able to be scrutinized and analyzed in this perspective. Uh, when I got involved in the field, uh, it was always my intention of uh, 
know, again, being born and born and raised as a Catholic, you know, and, and pretty much all religion uh, believes in an afterlife. There is some belief that there are we're, we're on this, this earth for, for a period of time, and then after that we go to somewhere. Okay, now that's the interpretation of where this somewhere is. Is it uh, heaven, hell? Is it an altered state of consciousness? Is it a parallel dimension? Is it uh, whatever you, uh, your theologic uh, belief might be? And uh, it was always my intention to, uh, uh, if, if uh, there is there's, if there is an afterlife, and there are the idea that our that we do survive the death of the body, that our spirit, in some essence, some form, whether it be energy, whether it be some form of intelligence, uh, some sort of personality, if you will, actually survive the death of the body, then it was my intention to try to prove that if that survived the body, then prove that there was a possibility that there were ghosts. And they kind of would go hand in hand. If you could prove the, the existence of life after death, existence of ghosts and vice versa because it kind of goes my my way of thinking it kind of go hand in hand that's how I really got involved uh, with the, the research to begin with okay all right, so let's. Do, do you want to take a break first, then hold, take? Oh uh, yeah. Let's, okay. Let's go to a break. I'm sorry, we're almost at six thirty. Uh, okay, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON twelve forty AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we're going to mention our marvelous little sponsors there, Amazon Kindle. And Amazon Kindle, of course, being the e-reader, electronic reader, that prevents you having to take those $4-gallon trips to the bookstore and allows you to download up to 900,000 books, newspapers, and magazines, including four of my own. And uh, Dale, are your books on Kindle as well? Uh, They will be very soon. Okay. So uh, we'll... uh, yeah, we'll give, give our sponsor their money's worth, and, and uh, our guests can say a good word about them, too. So, <laughs> in there. Anyway, Amazon.Kindle, I should say, Amazon.com. You can find out about the Kindle device, which is as low as $114 at this point. So, check it out, Amazon Kindle. All right, and I jumped the gun, didn't I? We yes, played the regular break. Go ahead. Hey, everyone, this is Leanne Rimes with the Texaco Country Showdown, America's largest country music talent search. Texaco is a proud sponsor of the Country Showdown, supporting big dreams for our local stars. Listen up to hear how you can come support your favorite local artist at the state final and see who has what it takes to make it to the national stage. The local Woonsocket competition of the Texaco Country Showdown, presented by Navigant Credit Union, is coming this Saturday, July 23rd at 4 p.m. in the Performance Hall of the St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center on Cumberland Street in Woonsocket. Tickets are now on sale here at the WOON Studios, 985 Park Avenue, Woonsocket, at the corner of Kennedy Street, during regular office hours, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Please come, cheer on your favorite of our 17 performers to send them to the New England Finals in October and help us raise money to benefit St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center as well. Tickets are only $10 each for a very special night of top flight entertainment, the first step to a possible national TV appearance, and a $100,000 grand prize in Nashville, Tennessee. Be with us. Owen Radio. Okay. So we are back to Behind the Paranormal with our wonderful guest. And I have a question real quick for our good guest, Dale Kazmarek. So, Dale, have you ever run into any negative entities? Um, tough question. Uh, actually, I can say I can, I've run into uh, what I believe to be 
of things that are bordering on that. Uh, when you say negative entities, that kind of conjures up the idea of, uh, you know, demons and exorcisms and things of that nature. Uh, one thing that we're very careful of when we, when we talk to people and interview people, uh, we screen our cases very carefully uh, to make sure that we're not getting involved with something that we can do that's beyond over our head. Uh, there are people that are in the field uh, that are uh, professed demonologists that uh, actually are more better attuned to dealing with very negative spirits. Or say they are, anyway. All right, all right. Let, me, let me ask you a really quick question, because no one's explained this to me before. What does a demonologist do? Supposedly a demonologist is there to uh, research, investigate, and uh, make recommendations of, of, to the people that have problems in their home with negative spirits. Uh, and it's sort of like a ghost hunter, or I know you hate that term, or ghost researcher, ghost investigator, uh, that's taking on very negative cases. And there have been some very uh, famous ghost uh, demonologists uh, throughout uh, the history of the, uh, the term demonology. Uh, that have taken on some very, very bizarre and uh, negative cases. I have not personally come across any cases that I could say were very negative. And again, we would probably not go into a case that was very negative only because of possible implications of uh, physical harm or anything like that uh, that might happen to myself or anybody in our, in, our, in our team. So we are very careful to screen our cases uh, when we get involved any type of investigation. So you go, you, I'm, I'm, so to use EVPs, like in, in your investigations. Correct. Electronic voice phenomena, for those who don't know what it is. Yeah, well, we talk about it almost every the, other show. The term doesn't so. tell you what it is either. Yeah, well, it's, it's Well, a, maybe Dale can explain. Yeah, it's a voice phenomena. So you use EVPs, so you must ask questions to whatever entity is there. So... Let's say somewhat you go into like a house or whatever and ask, "Oh, who are you?" They give you a name. Do you believe what they tell you? Not necessarily. Uh, again, we again look at what we pick up. Uh, we definitely will get into the history of the location. Uh, when we pick up our EVP, we try to cross-reference whatever we get as far as information to the history background people living there in the past. It's a very simple task to go in and get the uh, people that have lived there in the past by using the property identification number and find out the owners of that, of that building all the way back at that time the building was built uh, to see if there was any uh, correlation to names that we picked up, information that was not uh, known to people that uh, were doing the session at the time uh, and other cross-reference information. So. Uh, we always take whatever we get as far as uh, we send EVPs with a, with a great salt uh, because we really can't tell what we're actually dealing with as far as communication-wise, uh, who we're really talking with uh, and what kind of communication we're getting. Uh, we use a number of different devices in our work with EVPs, just not simple, just digital recorders. We use different devices. Uh, in the, to my website, you've probably seen some of these. They're, they're, they're different talking boxes called an obelisk. Uh, we actually use a Frank box unit on occasion. We use another box called an art, art, 
uh, our EPT that actually converts our voice into uh, uh, EMF uh, and uh, transmits it back to the spirit uh, or to, to, the, uh, to the environment as EMF. So we try a lot of different uh, EMF things. being electromagnetic field. That's, exactly. Yeah. So we, we try a lot of different things in, in our work to try to communicate, not just talking to a digital recorder, you know, leaving some blank space and hoping that there's something, a response. We get a lot of good responses through our obelisk, which is basically a device that uh, allows the spirits to form their own words. If there's a built-in uh, vocabulary or dictionary that the spirits can pick out and draw words from that, which, you know, to me is not as uh, uh, scientific, perhaps, as the phonetic mode, where it allows the spirits to put the words, the vowels together to form the words, uh, and put words together to form sentences. Uh, so they're using phonetics, or phonemes, phonons, you know, the basic uh, building blocks of the English language. And when you begin to get words out of uh, the phonetic mode of this device uh, that are very relevant to the questions you ask, and you really have to ask yourself the question, are you actually communicating with something here? What is what is influencing the box to actually pull a word out of nothing and create that word? Maybe I, I missed this because the audio is not so great still, but how how does this occur when they're supposed to be spirits and don't have vocal cords? Well, because the, the box itself... Uh, is being influenced by the spirit. So the spirits uh, somehow are influencing the box, uh, being able to uh, manipulate the, uh, the electronics of the box to, uh, by varying the EMF or the electromagnetic field uh, to create the sounds, the phonies, to make the words come out of the box. Well, you make it sound like as soon as we uh, quote-unquote pass over and become alleged spirits, we become physicists as well. How do they know how to do all this? Well, it, it, it basically, it's basically, it's a theory, it's scientific, it's, it's, uh, these are experimental devices that are out there, and uh, a lot of people are using them, some people are getting better results, some people are getting no results, we seem to have a, a knack for getting some very interesting responses through the box, uh, so I can't explain how they, they, they affect the box or how they actually uh, make the words come out, I guess, uh, maybe when I pass over and I can communicate, maybe I can uh, say... Well, let us know, will you? We'll have you back on the show. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I do hope you are in good health. <laughs> I would... Uh, but um, Now, we love you. You know that, okay? Yeah. And we respect what you're doing. But I just... I, I just Everything you're saying sounds scientific, but it, it just... It isn't. I mean, I just have to submit that. That's why, you know, I long ago gave up on any of these things. We have an EMF meter, but only, you know, I mean, these things can be affected. Well, you know, these things can be affected by uh, radar arrays at airports 10, 10 miles away. EVPs can be explained in 5,000 different ways. And I, I know I get suspicious when somebody comes back from Gettysburg, which is EVP central, and you got somebody some claims to be a Confederate soldier and speaks with uh, modern, in modern, 20, you know, 21st century terms with some accent from somewhere else. I just It just doesn't add up. And that's why I'm going to back up a little bit to a question Ben started to ask about negative entities. I, I would find it astounding that in nearly 40 years of work you have not run into very many uh, negative entities. We've run into them all the time, and maybe we do because we question everything 
about what they are, what they seem to be, and what they, they tell us. Because very often it will seem that this will be Aunt Minnie, who died 10 years ago, you know, they may be helping with the dishes. We've actually run into that, helping sure. people with the dishes. And, and it turns out, when you say, if things don't add up, and I say, I don't believe your Aunt Minnie, everything changes. We've even had these entities turn into gray aliens. Well, not us in particular, but other people that well, have other tried people have, Well, I, you know, I've run into them. Well, actually, well, look at the thing in Connecticut. That's, oh, yeah, good point. They're running into grays over there. So, I mean, just, I, what, what did Bill Murray say in Ghostbusters 2? That's the trouble with aliens. You just can't trust them. I mean, I don't trust any of these critters. So, um, uh, it's good that you screen certainly all the clients and everything, but, I mean, I, I'm wondering, do you feel that you screen the ghosts enough, so to speak? Well, that's one of the reasons I think uh, we, we've eliminated a lot of the negative stuff because we screen a lot of our clients and so forth. Now, maybe uh, the reason that we're, we're not getting involved with that many negative things, I'm not saying we and haven't come across negative things. I just, I just can't, come, can't think of uh, too many that we've actually have really come across that I can say are really negative or if they're just spirits that just have the... A bad hair day, more or less. Well, you are, you are wise to avoid those cases. I mean, certainly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because I have not, and I've had some experiences I, you know, don't want to remember. It, but it, it, it takes a physical toll upon you. It does. It does. But our particular <laughs> calling, in a manner of speaking, involves helping people who have been involved in this sort of thing, um, and negatively speaking. What what relationship do you find? Between, let, let's say we're dealing with a house, between the people in the house and the entities and or phenomena? Well, most often uh, when people call us to tell us there's something going on in their home, we have a mixture of uh, different emotions. Usually it's one of uh, curiosity or it's fear or it's um, uh, just complete wonderment. Now, sometimes the fear is usually the one we come across most often because they don't know what's going on. They're they're completely uh, powerless to stop what's going on. Uh, Others believe that it may be uh, a relative, a friend or a loved one. And uh, in in cases where we've gotten down to the point uh, at the culmination of the investigation uh, and uh, they will say, well, we believe it's Uncle Hank or, or Aunt Mary or something. And we don't want you to take or get rid of them. We just want a verification that something was here, and we're more than happy to, to leave them or uh, leave them right where they're at. Uh, we, we get this all the time from people, uh, uh, this, this, the idea that they just more or less want somebody that is a good listener that is not going to ridicule them, laugh at them, and be able to uh, talk with them on their level yep, and true. tell them that there's something there or something not there. Either verify or just tell them there's something not there. At the same time, uh, just tell them they're not going crazy, more or less. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, well, that, that's a question you always get is, do you think we're crazy? Exactly. Okay. And, uh, we, we, we come across this all the time. Uh one of the things I, I find just, just so amusing sometimes is just when the people, 
especially the ones that are very fearful of this, I mean, they, they come to the point that they literally are ready to pack up and move uh, and, and, and just move to another location. And I, I, I truly believe that not only spirits can become attached to you know, homes and buildings, but they can follow people from place to place. So, I mean, that's not the first thing you always want to do is decide that you're going to pack up and move to another location because we've actually been to... Uh, uh, investigated clients that have actually moved several times, and the same phenomena has been in every home that they've moved into, like ghosts is following from place to place. Well, it may seem that way. Yeah, I, I hear exactly. you. All right. Uh, this, this might be a difficult question to ask and to answer, but uh, <clears throat> people might ask, either you or me, what qualifications do we have to do what we do, what, what you know, qualifies you to take upon yourself or me to take upon myself, not only the investigation of these phenomena, but the interpretation and what does come down to the counseling of people who are involved. So how would you answer that question? I mean, what, what in your background gives you the qualifications to do what you do? Well, first of all, let me say that there is no real degree that can be had in the field that, I, that I'm aware of. Uh, I, I believe that you can get a, a, a doctor of divinity degree, which really means really nothing, and I think I, I, they can uh, take courses in parapsychology and, and uh, uh, you can even uh, take my course on IMU. Uh, yeah, you uh, and I both teach on the college level. What, you know, and we might extend exactly, what, what uh, gives us really the right to do that. that. Professional uh, doctor of parapsychology, I believe. Um, what 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 I believe really qualifies me uh, to to do what I do is just the amount of time that I've been involved in the paranormal. I have read and researched hundreds and thousands of cases. I don't actually thousands, not hundreds of thousands, thousands of cases. Uh, I've read books on the subject, I've been to lectures, seminars, I have been involved in the field for more than 35 years, uh, I have worked with other, and, and uh, frequently networked with other uh, groups and parapsychologists and other uh, ghost researchers across the country, um, and I think that is really what qualifies any uh, paranormal team or any uh, ghost researcher to say that they're qualified, it's really uh their longevity in the field and what they have done in the field themselves that proves that they have any knowledge of uh, ghost hunting or ghost research, uh, ghost investigating. All right. Well, I don't know if people would accept that, either from you or from me. That, you know, it's, But that's, I guess, the nature of the beast. There are those who have PhDs in parapsychology whom I... Yeah, you know, I've read their books. I know some of them, and I, you know, I wouldn't use their books as doorstops, frankly. So I suppose it is a matter of um, experience. Of course, uh, as I often say, you know, I, I, I don't, in particular, and Ben and I, in general, don't believe the way most paranormal investigators do, and we don't operate that way. We have entirely different theories and methods. But maybe we're wrong. You can do things wrong for forty years. You know, so uh, I guess it is kind of up to. Um, up to the masses, I suppose. Anyway. Exactly. And you know, parapsychology is never probably ever going to be accepted as a true science. I mean, it's basically uh, parapsychology is kind of an offshoot from the psychology department. 
Uh, well, there are a lot of scientists who don't like psychology either because it's inexact. Exactly. Well, what, well, there's, well, I say this, and also our friend uh, Philem Brogno, who is a scientist, says, says this, that the paranormal is outside of science because it's outside the materialist paradigm that science embraces. What say you on that? I would agree. I would agree. Uh, basically, we're looking at uh, you know just just the the, the, the word parapsychologist or paranormal means you know unknown. Uh, we're looking at the unknown areas, uh, or at least right now that are unknown to us of the human mind. Uh, most of parapsychology doesn't doesn't really involve ghosts anyway. It's ESP, telepathy, uh, precognition, yeah, yeah. clairvoyance, uh, remote viewing. It uh, goes into a lot of things with, within ourselves, uh, and ghosts is really a small portion of parapsychology, a, much, a very small portion. It's really of, about the unknown uh, powers of the human mind and the human psyche. Okay. Now, let me go back to one thing you mentioned as well. You said that when you investigate, and this is what most people do, when you investigate a house and you have some sort of, uh, you believe there's some sort of entity there or something, you look back at the history of the place and see if anybody by that name or description or whatever had had lived there. We sometimes found that, and this is way back in the 70s when I still kind of kind of approach this in the same way that most people do, that very often that was not the case. On several occasions, we found, and I'm always a big believer on follow-up, and I'm going to ask you that in a minute, we found that the particular incident that seemed to have been, if you want to say, recorded or was manifesting in a certain environment didn't take place until five or ten years in the future. And that kind of made me wonder. And again, that, that all kind of fed into the quantum idea that time and space doesn't really mean anything. If, I mean, that is past and future really don't mean anything. And there were all sorts of variables involved. Have you run into cases where there seems to be a very obvious manifestation of a certain person ha- having a certain traumatic event occur, but it had not occurred in the history of the house that you could find? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, that's simple answer to that question. All right. Yeah, quite often. All right. There is a problem, there, well there are a lot of problems with modern pop paranormal research. One is that everybody seems to be inventing the wheel. I mean, the, the, the folks we've interviewed on the show, and most do not have your experience, will say, oh, what we're trying to prove, and again, you know, with, with the best of intentions I'm sure, we're trying to prove that ghosts exist, the afterlife exists, we're trying to do this, this, and this, but nobody seems to work together. One of the standards of academic judgment is the peer review. I mean, heaven help us if we had that in, in this, this field. But, I mean, strictly speaking, peer review is uh, a measure of credibility for any scientific or even remotely scientific assumption or, or presentation or theory. What, what do you think can be done among modern pop paranormal researchers for them to work together toward any, any sort of goal of this kind? Well, I think, number one, uh, they first have to get their heads out of the clouds. Um, see a lot of these re- reality-based TV shows that are on TV right now that really uh, are not showing people the proper way of, of, of what reality actually is. In, in oh, you think? <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to mention any of the names. I no, know I don't usually know either. Yeah. What's the ones I'm talking about? People know. Uh, and, and, and basically, I, I, I've always advocated, and I will advocate until 
uh, I eventually hang up my shingle, that people need to share their knowledge, their techniques, their, uh, uh, their evidence with others so that they can learn. I mean, I've been doing this for over 35 years, and I will tell you, I've, I go to lectures and seminars and workshops and conferences all the time, and there are new uh, researchers that I've never heard about in new groups, and I'll sit there and I will learn things from their group, and I will find some, a little tidbit of information, I'll say, well, why did I think of something like that? And this is what's wrong with this field, is that people don't communicate well with one another. It's the only scientific community, I believe, that doesn't communicate well with one another. Well, that, yeah. I mean, the medical community, I mean, they seem to communicate really well, but parapsychology doesn't really communicate or share their knowledge. It's like they're, 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 they're so worried that someone's going to steal or rip off their, their evidence that they're un very unwilling to share. And I think once they be, uh, get off that, that, that Ferris wheel and come down to earth, I think we'll make a lot better strides to uh, uh, you know, solving this problem of, of, of ghosts and uh, the paranormal generally. Well, I don't know if I would dignify the, the pop paranormal group as a scientific group at all. I mean, sure. and, and one problem is uh, that I'm sure you've noticed as well, and one reason why we have never joined things is because feuds and intrigues seem to be the greatest pleasure in life for some of these people. I mean, it's, the politics is beyond belief, as it can be in science as well. So have you noticed, I'm sure you've noticed this as well. Yeah, science, uh, I mean, drama, too. It's oh, a lot yeah. of drama. <laughs> very much so. It's all for entertainment. That's all it yeah. is. Well, I'm very nervous about the hobbyist approach. I mean, people approach this, this is an extremely serious and possibly dangerous activity, and they approach it as if it was, you know, rock hunting or, you know, butterfly catching or something. And it, it's, I think it's awful, especially when they get children involved. Now, are you, tell us about your group and, and what, what you do. I mean, you don't allow children to come along, do you? No, we have an age limit of 21. Uh, you have to be at least 21 to be in our group. I and mean, we, we, we do, uh, we do, uh, tutor or mentor people that are, that are, you know, uh, that are 18, but they're not allowed to, to join the group. They're allowed to kind of a, they're doing mentorship and so forth, but they're not allowed to physically be a part of the group to the 21 years of age. Um, I've always, uh, said that, you know, the biggest problem with, you know, ghost hunting groups or uh, ghost researching groups is, and I've noticed this, you know, from uh, 1984, when the movie Ghostbusters came out, that when the real swing towards uh, uh, people coming out of their closets with their ghost stories, and I think that's yeah. what set it all off with that movie, uh, is that people think it's just as easy as just picking up a few devices, uh, starting a website, uh, writing a little book, and you're an instant ghost hunter. Uh, and that's really sad because... Uh, they really don't know what they're getting involved with. I, I, when I when I started my group back in 1977, I worked uh, as a research assistant with my group. Uh, I wasn't even the president of the group. I worked with the group for five years before I even became president of the group, uh, just to show that I wanted to make sure I was perfectly uh, willing and knowledgeable to take over as the president before I, I did that. I just didn't jump in with both feet like a lot of people do, and I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. Nowadays, that they they don't have the knowledge or the experience, and they just uh, are out there and really working with blinders on. Yeah, what would be your advice to people uh, who? Uh, I, and I, I cringe to ask this, but 
people who feel they have a problem and need feel they need to call someone in. I mean, I just I don't even know how to ask the question because it's just it's frightening what can happen. But what, what would you say to people who feel they should call someone? In? How do they how do they check them out? How do they how do they vet them before calling? That is really a hard question. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I, I've tried to keep a, a database of uh, reputable groups, uh, um, and it, it's really hard to do that because of, some of these are fly-by-night. Sometimes you'll look at the website gone the, the next week, the next month. Uh, but anyone who is interested and has a problem in, in their various states, I mean, they can give me a call or go through my website. I can uh, probably suggest ones that at least I have dealt with, I believe, um, are a little bit more credible than uh, some of the ones you might just find on Facebook or, or Twitter or uh, on, on, on the Internet that have been more well-established, that have been in the field a bit longer, that have well-established uh, uh, researchers, authors, investigators. Uh, so uh, I'd be more than happy to help anybody out in that aspect. All right, Ben, did you have any more questions? All right. What bothers the heck out of me, and I see this on like paranormal shows all the time. They go in with their little gadgets and things, and they go. They are there for a good like evening or so, and say, "Oh well, there is a, there is activity. There isn't activity." They, they don't give a thought to the people that that's what that's being me. that's being that they're being affected by this. They're like, "Oh well, there's something here. All right, uh, give us some money. We'll leave." It's like. Because in our belief, the people, if, if people are suffering, if, if there's tension and all sorts of problems in us, that feeds they negative. They just don't That's get spirit. the humanity behind all of this. It's not about the phenomena. It's about the people. Exactly. That's what bothers me the most. Because well, you know. it's like, why, why even try to help the people in the first place? Why even get into this field at all if you're not going to try and help someone? It's, exactly. it's ludicrous. Well. We have a perfect example of that. We have a case out here that we're working on right now in the uh, southwest side of Chicago uh, that it's gotten so bad that people have actually moved out of their bedrooms and have been sleeping downstairs in the living room. Uh, and it's really terrible. We've gotten some, we've actually heard disembodied scream in this building. We've actually heard and recorded. Uh, they're bone chilling. And we, we, we believe we know who it is. We believe it's the mother who actually died in a fire. And the mother was really a bad person. She was a pedophile. She was a drug addict, and uh, was really a child abuser. Really abused this this, this, this daughter. What makes you think it was her? Right now, and uh, uh, we have actually got to the point where we we've made follow up trips to this thing, up to this house, and uh, we are going to stay on top of this until uh, we get some resolution. I told her that you know, short of bringing in somebody. Uh, like a psychic, I mean, you have to literally take control of your house and basically say that this is your house, that these things are not wanted, and uh, uh, try to uh, take it back because if you don't, eventually what's going to happen, what's keeping that ghost or that evil spirit or whatever is upstairs from moving down into where they're staying now. Well, uh, our approach would be to bring the family together, and uh, the positive energy would displace the negative energy. I don't know, but that's that's the way we do well, it. Well, we we're, we're trying all different things right now. I mean, we haven't ruled out. Well, any, you might want to try that. Any possibility right now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have made multiple trips there, and uh, uh, some of the some of the uh, stuff that's been going on has been pretty bizarre. Okay, uh, so Dale, I'm afraid we're we're pretty much out of time here. If you just uh, tell us real quick about your website and your books. 
Sure. The, the website is uh, uh, Ghost Research Society website is www.ghostresearch.org, and the books can be found uh, either on the website or directly on uh, from the web or through you know Amazon.com or Orders.com. When you see the Ghost One and Two, Field Guide to Spirit Photography, Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, and Illuminating Darkness and Mystery of Spook Lights. Okay, I'll be very starting good. a new book that I'll be having sometime later this year come out called The Field Guide to Hunt Roads and Bridges. Okay, excellent. Ben, any uh, final comment? Uh, well, no, but thanks for being on the show. Well, we didn't agree on much, but it was a great, it was a pleasure to have you, and uh, best of luck in your work. And uh, also, we want to give a plug to dear old International International Metaphysical University, where uh, Dale and I both teach. I, I teach, teach different things. Dale, you teach. What exactly is your course about? Uh, my, mine is uh, ghost hunting techniques. Okay, uh, mine is science, religion, and the paranormal. Kind of related, I guess. But uh, intermetu.com, check us both out there. Dale, thank you very much, and uh, we'll be in touch off the air. I appreciate it. Thank you much. Okay, very good. Okay, folks, Dale Kesmerick, ghostresearch.org from Chicagoland. Now I know what Chicagoland is. Oh, you learn something new every day. Indeed. Well, many thanks to our producer, the much-revered, oh, <laughs> Steve Bianchi. Alias Bullwinkle, who has returned from the... Gra- oh, no, he hasn't returned from anywhere. I expected someone else to be here tonight, actually. Anyway, we'll see you right here next Monday, July 25th, when Ben and I will welcome back the mighty Murray Silver, one of our most popular guests. Come to call those shows Mondays with Murray. Uh, 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 it's it's like... Except people will mistake it for Bill Murray, so... Just no, not quite. No, he's, he's uh, a little bit deeper, but... Yeah. Uh, Tuesdays with Murray... That was huh. famous. Anyway, uh-huh. Mondays with Murray, Tuesdays with Murray. Uh-oh. Anyway, my grim attempts at humor are no better than Edgar Allan Poe's. Anyway, certainly one of our most popular guests and a discussion with this brilliant paranormal expert, Hollywood insider, Washington insider, about anything and everything strange. We don't even come up with questions for him because he just takes it and just leads us into these amazing realms. Yes, so we don't have to write a script. So in the meantime, tune into our live Sunday evening CBS radio edition in Boston, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Seattle on www.newskyradio.com and AOL Radio on July 24th. My dad and I will take uh, will welcome author and paranormal investigator Mary D. Jones for a talk about science and the paranormal. And she has some surprising opinions. She's more like us. Awesome sauce. So remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you this evening with a very simple but beautiful quote recorded as an epitaph on the gravestones of at least two amateur astronomers. Quote, we have loved the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night, unquote. Oh, uh, how much time do we have? Oh, we have a little... Uh, alright. So, thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.